Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they pay too much in taxes? We can help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes to book a free financial consultation so you can have peace of mind about your financial future. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business owner or HR leader and you're needing a competitive employee benefits package to help you attain and attract that top talent, we can help. Check us out to book a free consultation and create a customized benefit package that fits your business and budget. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with the always amazing Al McDonald. Al, what are you saying these days? What's new and exciting? Uh, thanks, Robin. Great to be here again, as always. And you know what? I thought it would be great to start off with something that we just talked about off air, about your LinkedIn post today, that if we could all think a little bit more like a dog. Absolutely. So what I had uh, written on LinkedIn, and there's a picture of my old dog, I don't have him anymore. I said that a dog wakes up thinking today is the greatest day on earth. And if we could just take a little bit of that, how great our lives would be. So yeah, I just, uh, I thought that was, I saw that earlier today. I thought that was great. So I wanted to make sure that everyone heard about that. Oh, well, thank you. Well, joining us today is Anita Ramdas, founder and CEO at ShuffleSpace. What is ShuffleSpace, you ask? Well, we are definitely going to find out. But first, welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Well, we met through a very good friend of the show, James Maliaros, and I got to give him a shout out because, and I'm talking very early days of the podcast, when I had no idea what I was doing, I just knew there's something here. I want to do a podcast. James was kind enough to come on. And what he talked about back then in building culture, the episode just did really well. So James, thank you because you really contributed to the early growth of the podcast and I will never forget that. So thank you. So Anita, why don't we start with you telling us a bit about ShuffleSpace and what the company does and where it came from? Yeah, for sure. So ShuffleSpace is basically a virtual warehouse and service for unique assets. So we actually store and manage creative assets for some of the world's largest brands. So creative assets, what would those be? Yeah. So for example, like we're working with large brands that have marketing assets that can go from branded swag to giant structures that they use for trade shows or for festivals or things like that. So it's all of the assets, like branded assets that they use for building their brand, getting themselves out there. So it might be commercials, it might be trade shows, it might be festivals, it might be, you know, an art piece. So all of these things that don't fit in traditional warehousing, because they're not properly skewed, they're not standard size. So it's all of these expensive assets that they use that need to be managed. And today they're not being managed. So we have kind of an online platform that helps them track and manage all of those assets, as well as deliver them out to where they need them. So what was happening before this? So shuffle space isn't on the scene yet. What was being done in this space? Yeah. So basically, because 
all of these assets wouldn't fit in their warehousing. And a lot of these brands, they have their own warehouse for their product. They were leaving it with the agencies that were doing their marketing and their experiential marketing. So the agencies were trying to manage all of these assets, but that's not their core competency, right? They're creative, they're building campaigns and ideas and activations. And now they're now responsible for asset management and logistics and managing that side of it, which isn't their core competency. So they were either putting it in storage lockers or trying to manage their own warehouse. So now we've come in and we're kind of an operational arm for these creative businesses. So Anita, this is a really unique type of business and a unique space. Like, can you talk about how you got into it? Like how you came up with this idea and and how you ended up in this space? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit, I guess, random, but I was reading online about a company in the UK that was trying to do this concept of Airbnb for storage. And they were looking at, you know, kind of like storing something in someone's house and looking at, I guess you would then have a marketplace. You could like ask your neighbor (laughs) to put your bike in their garage or something. And I was like, this is, you know, it's an interesting idea when, you know, you live downtown and there's not a lot of space and all of this. And I looked into the business a little further and I was like, wow, like the storage industry is huge. It's like a $38 billion market, but it's just not being disrupted by technology in any way. And I'm a software engineer from my background. And I was looking at it and I'm like, you know, what can be done in this space? And I didn't, you know, love that idea. (laughs) I was like, there's insurance and all these other things. And how do you manage that? But I kind of just started doing research and trying to figure out like, how can technology disrupt this industry. And I did a lot of research and looked at different companies and what they were trying to do. And actually initially launched like a B2C version, which was like on-demand storage for individuals and launched that business in 2017. And to be honest, I didn't like it almost immediately. Within three months, I was like, I don't like this business because there was was like a low willingness to pay. But beyond that, I'm a software engineer and the technology is important to me. And the technology wasn't what was solving the problem. It was more about convenience and price. And that wasn't exciting for me. So I was like, I want to build technology that's able to change the way something's done. So I kind of stepped back and I was like, okay, so who's using storage and why are they using it? And I literally picked up the phone and called 80 companies and talked about what their challenges were. And I was like, okay, most of this can be solved by technology. So that's kind of how we got started and launched that platform in 2018. Tell me a little bit more about your background in terms of your software. I'm just curious as to how you jumped from where you were to this. Was there a kind of this underlying need to do something or where did that come from? It's kind of funny because like I always hear about entrepreneurs saying like I was selling lemonade when I was like five years old outside of my house and making money or I was doing that. I was not doing that. So I always, you know, just imagined I would become like a lawyer, doctor or engineer and I would have a corporate job or I would, you know, that was just what I guess I saw and what I kind of aspired to do without really understanding myself and what kind of makes me tick and what I'm passionate about. So I actually kind of started off on this traditional path. I studied software engineering and got a job working in telco and had that. But I I just I wanted more. And one of my passions was actually traveling. So I when I decided to do my MBA to kind of like open up career opportunities to try different things, 
I looked to study abroad and I ended up studying in France at INSEAD. And from there, I ended up, you know, kind of working in Finland, working in Singapore, working in Germany. And I got exposed to so many different people. And one of those last jobs was in Berlin. And Berlin is just full of entrepreneurs. And while I was there working in telco in strategy, I ended up, you know, just meeting all these entrepreneurs and chatting with them and then just kind of helping them with their companies and seeing what I could do. And I just found that I loved it and I did it for free. And I was just like, this is so cool. This is amazing. Yeah. I just ended up joining one of the startups as a co-founder and kind of never looked back. I was like, this is my calling. It's just something that I was super excited about creating things from scratch. And so when I realized that I was like, okay, I'm going to start something on my own. And if I'm going to do that, probably easier doing it in your native language. So I was like, I'm going to come back home and start something. That's an exciting story. And especially, uh, you know, the fact that you've been able to travel the world and make that part of your career and see what's been going on and getting some of these ideas from different areas and different cultures. That's great. You're in a bit of a unique space, obviously, mm -hmm. something that I've never heard about before. Can you talk a little bit about what you think has contributed most to your growth in terms of the business? Yeah. I mean, I feel like in business, it's like there's so many different moving pieces and you've got to be able to do so many things well for it to come together. And probably why, you know, 90% of startups fail, but I kind of identify like two main things that I think kind of helped us get to where we are or made it easier, let's say. And the first one I kind of already mentioned, but that was really validating our problem, finding a problem that had really strong pain points. That was when I mentioned that we initially launched and I didn't like the business. Like there wasn't this satisfaction that we were really solving a problem and that technology wasn't playing a role in it. But when I did step back and call those 80 companies and the questions I was asking them about, oh, well, what do you do today? And they were like, oh, we, you know, we use storage lockers and, you know, we access the items, we manage it ourselves. And then the question came, well, how's that working for you? And it was like, it's awful. <laughs> and they would just tell me about like how terrible it was to like send an account manager over to the storage locker and they'd be looking for items. And really they have five or six employees using that same storage locker. And after they spent three hours pulling everything out, they found out their colleague actually grabbed that item last week. And it's actually just sitting at the office under her desk or, you know, like they get to the storage locker and they realize they can't fit it in their cars. So they got to drive over to the U-Haul, grab a U-Haul, come back, load it. Like these are creative professionals that are having to do all this stuff. And so just the pain was real. Like they were just like, this is awful. And so just, I think that first step of really validating what's the problem we're solving and what are solutions that can actually solve those problems for our clients. I mean, why that helped was it made sales super easy, right? Like it, it was very easy to know exactly who we were targeting, how to listen to them talk about their challenges and be able to show them how our solution could help them specifically in those areas. So I'd say the first thing with growing the business was just really identifying what's the real problem we're solving and making sure that our solution was actually solving those things for them. And then as we grew, I would say the second most important thing was building a culture. And I learned so much about that because you look at startups that are like, we have ping pong tables and we have free lunch. And it's like, that's not culture, right? And it's not even like you define your culture. And then as people join, they adapt to your culture. 
it's not really the case. You hire for your culture. These are the things that are important for you as a business that you know will help you be successful. And so one of the things for us is what we call like creative curiosity, right? So people that look at things as very changeable, things that they know that they want to improve, they want to understand first how it works, then they want to look at how they can make it better because they're constantly learning and they're constantly trying to see how to make improvements. That's something that's really important for us as a startup because we're building something new. So we want people to look at everything from that lens. And so once we identified that as a key part of our culture and way of working, we start to hire for that. So we start to make sure we're asking questions in the interview to vet that and make sure that we have that. And, you know, we have other parts of our culture, but I think that piece allowed us to get to where we are because when things aren't working, you have the right people there that can help you get over that hump instead of giving up, being like, can't figure this out, or this is so hard <laughs> as it is in a startup. So I would say those are, yeah, the two things that really helped us get to where we are. That is very cool. I love hearing the stories. I particularly love hearing about travel because I'm passionate about travel as well. And I think you'd probably agree with me, Anita, that experiencing other ideas and other mm -hmm. people and other cultures, it really it opens your eyes to the world. And Al knows this, like some of my most creative ideas have been mm -hmm. when I've been working remotely outside of the country because you know, it frees you up to talk to other people and get that inspiration. So I love that you talked about that. But I wanted to go maybe back in time because this is a question we ask of a lot of business leaders. And you said in the beginning, you you were an initially an entrepreneur. I was the kid with selling lemonade on the side <laughs> of the street. So I will always stop, you know, if kids are selling and I'll always buy something because I love seeing that. But if you could go back in time, because almost every entrepreneur, Alan, myself included, I wish I had known that when I started mm -hmm. out. Is there anything, you know, going back now and looking say, geez, if only I'd known that I'd be here by now. This is interesting. And I feel like it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't talk about, but how lonely it is starting a company. And I feel like it's something that like you can plan for if you're aware that it's going to happen. And so it's just like the pressure is real, right? Like you're getting into this business, like everything's on your shoulders. And even though you have a team around you, not everyone's put their house on the line. Not everybody is not taking a salary for a few years to get to this point. And not everybody is as invested in the success of it. And so it gets really stressful. There's a lot of pressure. But the things that I found that really helped is really building a community around myself entrepreneurs that are at the same stage as me because they understand what I'm going through, strong team of advisors that can help fill the gaps that I have or things that I don't know, or maybe they've done this already a couple of times, allowing yourself to be vulnerable to your team so that they can understand what you're going through and how they can support you. So I feel like all of those things really, if you know that from the beginning, you can set yourself up better for success. I'm so glad you talked about that. Because mm -hmm. I think we're at 117 episodes released and no one's really talked, they've, they've touched on it, but no one has used mm -hmm. the words lonely as far as I can remember. And that hits home with me too, because, you know, the world of the entrepreneur is glorified, like look, and you see all the highs and there's very few people on a community like LinkedIn sharing all the lows as well. The person that I think has done it the most authentically is probably Erica Rankin. And Erica started Brodo and she has shared her journey from the ups, the downs, the mental health challenges that she talks about. 
So I think it's important for people to realize there are going to be some lonely times. And you talked about not taking a salary. And I remember because I came from a corporate world as well and then Mm -hmm. jumped into this. And I remember going home thinking, how am I going to tell my spouse Mm -hmm. there's no paycheck and there probably isn't one coming for quite some time. And that was super challenging. And I mean, you get beyond that, you push beyond that. But having that community of people that you can talk to and share that experience is so important because we have that too. And I'm very lucky to have two other business partners that have experienced it with me. So it's, you know, you're not as alone, but I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's a reality. And I think if you know that going in, you can prepare yourself and build a community, you're going to be so far better off. So thank you so much for sharing that. Can I dig a little deeper in that though? Can you share any specifics you've done? Like, have you set up like a, a board of advisors or a community on LinkedIn or, a, you know, just a group of people you meet with or what have you done? So I joined an accelerator program. It was like 2017 and it was an accelerator program for women entrepreneurs. And like two of the women that were in that program with me, that was 2017. And I still talk to them every week. And we were all at the same stage in our businesses, which getting it off the ground, growing it and just having that community and like we're friends now. It's not just that we're entrepreneur associates, right? We've become good friends now. And so I think that that's one thing because it's like they understand what you're going through. I actually recently did a trip to Morocco with a bunch of entrepreneurs. So it was like one week kind of self-discovery, just understanding kind of what you want in life, how your business fits in with that. And that was an amazing experience because of the other entrepreneurs that also have gone through all these things and are also on this journey to just make sure that they're creating the life that they want, right? While running their businesses. So things like that, like just looking for it, because I think that when you start off, you just keep pushing. You're like, I'm exhausted. This is hard. And the only answer is to just keep moving forward, right? And it's like, no, just stop build that support group around you and then move forward again. Right. And so I just, I wish that entrepreneurs talked about it more so that you're more prepared on that journey when you get started. Well, that's a perfect segue into the next question then. So what's the future look like for Anita and for Shuffle Space? Oh, well, there's a lot that I'm excited about. And I think that it's actually not a specific thing. So we're really going through this process right now where we're building systems and systems for creating alignment across the teams, systems for making better decisions, systems for how we run our meetings, all of these things that it's not like, oh, there's this one thing in the future, like, you know, when we launch in another city or, you know, when we hit a hundred million in revenue, it's like not these big things. What I'm seeing or what I'm excited about right now is that I can see our productivity triple or even 10 times because of these systems we're putting in place. So I'm really excited to see where we're going to be a year from now. Because I mean, the entrepreneur journey is such a roller coaster. It's so up and down. And it feels very much like you take three steps forward and like two steps back, or sometimes three steps forward and four steps back. It feels very hard to feel like you're making progress. But like actually this boring piece of the business, which is putting all these systems in place, It's created such alignment across the teams and just faster decision-making, better decision-making, more data-driven decision-making. And I'm just seeing that our productivity has just gone up so much. I'm just excited to see how much we're going to achieve in the next year because of these things. That does sound exciting. Robin, you said something one time, and I think this reflects a little bit about what Anita just said. And correct me if I butcher it, but you said something about People overestimate what they can achieve in one day 
and underestimate what they can do in five years? Or you're close. Like yeah, you're close. You're close. <laughs> it's usually people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. Because people are always in a rush. So Anita, it's that time in the podcast, one of my favorite times. And again, we're going to leave this up to you, but Al has a signature question. Are you up for it? Let's give it a shot. <laughs> All right, let's go. Huh? All right, wonderful. So it goes like this. A society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? I feel like this is a tough question. and I don't know if I have a good answer to it, but I kind of would tie it back to changing the way that we think about building companies and how they grow. And I think there's kind of two things I think about. So I think about the way startups have been built with this idea of like growth at all costs. And I wanted to do it a different way. So when I got started, I mean, I think part of it was not having a choice because you look at the VC landscape and saying, okay, well, women get 2% of funding. So if you look at probabilities, (laughs) like why would I spend the majority of my time trying to fundraise if I've got a 2% chance of getting the money? So I had to think about it differently. So I had to look at, okay, I'm an engineer. How do I become a salesperson? Because I just have to get revenue in to get my business off the ground. And all of this kind of ties back to like different methods of leadership and how there's not only one way to do it. You can kind of look at women leading different way, like leading with empathy more. Is that the right way? Is that the wrong way? And I think there is no right and wrong way. And I think what I'm trying to do is just lead my way, right? And if I can build a successful business leading with this way of working, then I can kind of show the world that, you know, there's many ways to do this and it doesn't have to be what everybody perceives as leadership. And sorry, I don't know if that's like a clear answer or not. No, I think that's great. I hear what you're saying. Some of the things that you're doing are going to influence other people. And again, you're not necessarily going to see the benefit of it down the road, but it's going to impact other people elsewhere Mm -hmm. and how they lead and using you as a role model. I think that's great. Yeah. And I would take that even further that I think this conversation, because I know I've been enjoying it so much, you know, Anita, sometimes we don't see the impact that you have on someone. The guests will hear my doorbell ringing as we're recording this at the office, but that's okay. We'll get it in a minute. And I think you will have an impact and you might not ever see it, but someone will listen to this and think, wow, that's fantastic. I mean, Anita's had such an interesting journey and that's something I want to try on myself. So thank you for answering that. And thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Shuffle Space? You can reach me by email. It's just Anita, A-N-I-T-A at shufflespace.ca. All right, cool. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. 